I have all these really cool pedals up here, and I'm wondering if I can make use of them somehow uh, during this, this message. So I might spare you guys that, though. Um, if we could bring the house lights up a little bit, I can barely see my, my notes up here. Okay, so um, we started a new series last week, and it's entitled Hosea. And uh, now Hosea is a is a love story, but it's not the kind of love story that you think about when you think of a love story. I know when I say love story, all the ladies, their your heart gets all warm, and you you think about the last romantic novel that you read, right? Because you guys read those, don't you, ladies? Don't you, ladies, read lots of romantic novels? No. Yes, you do. Don't lie. And. Uh, and, and so that's where your mind goes, but um, Hosea is unlike any love story you could ever imagine. And so we're starting in this book, and we're going to be in this book for a while. And, um, and here's what the historical background is. If you guys can go to my slides there at the back at some point, that'd be great. Um, there, not, not that, yeah, that, that one. And then go to the next one. This is a map. If you didn't know already, this is a map. And I know school starts tomorrow, but I'm just trying to warm you up. Uh, so this is Israel at the time of, at the time of Hosea. Um, the southern part, Judah, is, is three tribes, Judah, Benjamin, and Simeon. And then the sort of tan-colored part is the other nine tribes of Israel. They're split into two at this point in history. And so there's like a north and a south. There's like the Yankees and the whatever people in the south are called. And... Uh, and so it's kind of like the U.S., like in the Civil War, right? Like the North and South. And, um, but they're divided into like two separate kingdoms for a while. After, after King Solomon, uh, was, was, after he died, the kingdom split. And for many, many years, it was split into two. And there's all these prophets that come along and speak. Some speak to the North, some speak to the South. And Hosea was a prophet, if you remember from last week. Hosea spoke to which Which side? Anyone? Anyone? 120 people have no clue. Just guess. Yeah, 50-50 shot. All right, north, you're right. The north people, you're correct. So he spoke to the north mainly. And, uh, and here's what's happened. So the north, the north is actually referred to as Israel. The south is actually referred to as Judah. And here's what's happened. Israel has, has totally turned its back on God, and they are worshiping idols. Now, I know when I say idols, in your mind, what you picture is just a little statue that they worship inside their home. But idolatry was a much bigger deal than just bowing down to an idol in your home. Here's what happened. Listen. As a result of their idolatry, they began to do things that the pagan countries said you should do to worship these idols in particular. Their big god was the, the god Baal, the agricultural god. And so, one of the things that they would do to worship Baal was they actually would offer child sacrifice, believe it or not. So think of this. You are Israel. You are, in a sense, God's chosen people. You've had the law. You've had other prophets come and preach to you. You've had God reveal himself in very concrete, physical ways. And yet you turn your back on that God and you actually get caught up in idolatry leading you to offer your own kids at times as a child sacrifice to the false god. Look at how far Israel has fallen. Secondly, they would not just do that, but they would also go to the downtown temple where there would be prostitutes 
giving allegiance to Baal, and they would actually engage with these prostitutes. And the idea was, if we have sex with prostitutes, then the Baal gods are going to make it rain, all right? Now, I don't know how they came up with this, right? This, is, this sounds crazy, but Israel, look how far they've fallen. They've, they've gone from being God's chosen people, he's revealed truth to them, to falling this far. And your question might be, how could that happen? How could they fall for such foolishness and such idolatry? Well, the answer is the same, same way that you and I do, right? The same way that you and I fall for idolatry is the same way that Israel fell into idolatry. The same way that you have the Bible in your hands and you, you know God's truth. The same way that you grew up in a Christian home, but we often can choose to turn away from that, turn away from God, and turn towards idolatry. This is what the nation of Israel did. And so here's why um, I want to let you know why I'm doing this series, because I think it is important. I don't, I don't know if you, th- if you guys picture me, like, when I, when I choose a series to do, it's not like I play Bible roulette and just flip the page and go, okay, we're going to do Hosea, right? That's not how it goes down with how we choose the series to do here at TBC. I try to observe, I try to think about, okay, what are things that I'm hearing from kids? What am I hearing from parents? What am I seeing with my own eyes when it comes to issues in our group? As I'm going through my own personal time with God, I try to look at what I'm looking at in the Bible myself, and I try to say, what are some things that I think would speak to where we're at as a group? That's how I choose a book to go through in the Bible. That's how it's done. And so in the last, I'd say, six to eight months, you know, in my position, I have like a front row seat to a lot of stuff. I have a front row seat. Parents call me and say, my kid's doing this, my kid's doing that. Like, how do I, what do I do? I'll talk to parents about their kids, talk to parents about their own lives and so on. So I get a lot of information just kind of pouring into my, into my ear about what's happening in our church. And most of it, I don't want to know, but I have to know as the pastor of this church, one of the pastors of the church. And so I start to hear things like, you know, yeah, you know, my, my daughters all went to go see Magic Mike. And I'm going, really? <laughs> or my son went to go see the new Adam Sandler movie, and I'm going, have you, do you know what's in that? Have you read the parental advisory on that, <laughs> just by chance? Um, or other things like, you know, a girl's you know, maybe dating a non-believer, or maybe a, a couple is claiming to be Christian, but they're living together, and they're living in sin. So I hear an array of things just continuously in, my prof- in this job that I don't always want to hear, but I feel like I have to kind of address it because it's, it's what we deal with as pastors of the church. And so one of the things that becomes very apparent to me in my job, and I see this in my own life as well, is that as Christians, we so often take sin way too lightly. We, we do not take sin seriously. You know, it's not like we're even... We don't even call sin what he calls sin. We're like, that's not a sin. Or if it is a sin, but yeah, God, God understands. He's okay with that. And so if, if someone doesn't claim to be a Christian, then okay, that's all bets are off. Nothing surprises me, right? If they don't even claim to know Christ, then I'm just going to assume that, yeah, you're, you're spiritually blinded. You don't, you don't know any better spiritually. And that's just the way it is for now. Until you come to know Christ, that's the way your life is for now. But if someone claims to be a Christian and they claim to follow Jesus, then it is our role as the body of Christ to stand forth before them and say, 
hey, this, this is sin. God, God calls this sin. We need to have a discussion about this. And this is what led me to, 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 to discuss this book called Hosea. And so I've seen numerous examples of this, and I want to get into all the details, but just I want you to know, like, there's, this is a prophetic book, not just to Israel, but to us as a student ministry. And I want it to convict us, and I include myself in this. As I read Hosea in my own time with God this past year, I was convicted at how I treat sin in my own life. I don't take it seriously. I don't. And I know if that's true of me, then I know it must be true of, of many of us here. And I know one of the things that many of us do is we look at, we think of Romans chapter 3.23, which says, you guys can repeat this, right? Or maybe you can't. Um, For all have sinned and, what, fallen short of the glory of God. And so there's that passage. And so most of us know it by heart. But most of us, I think, we think, well, the Bible says all have sinned, which is true. We all have sinned. But I think what happens is because we know all have sinned, we start to be okay with sin, right? We start to think, well, everyone, everyone struggles with sin, so I mean, what's the big deal? And that's our approach. And see, but because on the one hand, sin should not surprise us. That's true on the one hand, but it still should grieve us. On the one hand, we should not be surprised when we see our fellow Christians and even ourselves struggle with sin because this verse says that all have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. But at the same time, sin should not surprise us, but it still should grieve us. It should still grieve us. We should take it seriously. In fact, um, one of the phone calls I'll get about once every two months or so is a parent who calls me and just, you know, they're flipping out on the phone, they're in tears possibly, and they're just so floored that their son or daughter has gotten caught up in a certain kind of sin. I'll just use the example of, I don't know, pornography, right? And so a dad might call and say, you know, I just can't believe that my son is doing this or my daughter's doing this, and I'm, and I'm kind of going, well, not to be offensive, but I'm not real surprised at that. And they might take offense at first and be like, what, what are you trying to say about my kid? I'm like, no, it's not that. It's just that I'm a youth pastor, and I see a lot of this kind of stuff, and I'm also a sinner myself, by the way, and I know myself, right? And so parents can get so flustered at like, yeah, but, but my kid, I, I've heard this quote several times, but, but we didn't raise my kid to do this. And I'm like, really? I know you didn't teach your kid to look at pornography, right? But... They are sinners, and I'm a sinner. You're a sinner. You should know that if they have unfiltered access to the Internet in their room, it's probably going to happen at some point, right? They're going to go there at some point. And so on the one hand, sin should not surprise us. We shouldn't be surprised at sin. So here's what I do. Based on Romans 3.23, I just always assume the worst about everyone, Right? so that everything can, be, can go uphill from there, right? So I assume the worst about all of you in the room. I assume that everybody in the room is really, when I first meet you, that you're like a murderous, thieving criminal, all right? That's where I start with you, because I believe in Romans 3.23 that says, all have sinned. And so I start there, and then if I realize at some point that, oh, you're not a murderer, Oh, you're not a thief. That's great. I, I was so worried, right? And so I start there, and that way 
there's less room for disappointment, right? But many of your parents and, and many of your peers start at a different point. They say things like, well, you know, I'm just so surprised that that person is involved in that kind of sin. And I sit there and go, man, according to Romans 3.23, we all have sinned and fallen short. So, so sin should not surprise us, but it still should, it still should grieve us. And so today we're talking about um, this issue of God's tough love for the nation of Israel. This is basically God's response when, this is how God responds when we take sin too lightly. And to most of us, when you hear the word love, you think of like, you know, boxes of chocolates and teddy bears and stuff like that, Valentine's Day. You think of like, love means it's permissive, it's tolerant, it's soft, but true love as we see from God to us, has an edge to it, and is often tough. And so today we're looking at the tough love of God, and this is his tough love for the nation of Israel. So turn with me to Hosea chapter 2, verse uh, 1, and we'll start there. And I'm literally going to preach this so fast, you guys can have discussion here at the end. So um, chapter 2, verses 1 to 3, it says this, It says, say to your brothers, you are my people, and to your sisters, you have received mercy. So God is telling Hosea what to say to the nation of Israel. He's saying, say to your brothers, you are my people, and to your sisters, you have received mercy. Remember last week we talked about how um, God said that they did not receive mercy, or they would not receive mercy, and that they they would not be his people. And so now we're seeing God's mercy come into play, and he's saying that you are my people, and you have received mercy. So he starts there, right? Then he switches gears again in verse, chat, in verse 2. Look at verse 2. It says, plead with your mother. Now, this is not like Hosea's literal mother, right? He's not saying, Hosea, go talk to your mom for me for about a few things. Um, he's actually talking about the nation of Israel as his mother. He says, plead with your mother, the nation of Israel, plead for she is not my wife, and I am not her husband, that she put away her whoring. There's that word again, right? God uses some harsh language towards these people. From her face and her adultery from between her breasts, yes, it says that in the Bible, lest I strip her naked and make her as in the day she was born and make her like a wilderness and make her like a parched land and kill her with thirst. Now, that's a very uplifting text. I think we should put that on a T-shirt and try to sell that. What do you think? Um, so, so God is telling Hosea, God is telling Hosea to plead with Israel, to plead with his people, even though, God, listen to this, even though Israel's left God for other idols or other lovers, he is telling Hosea to plead with him. And I just remembered that I didn't tell you the setup for the story as I began this morning. So here's a quick setup, okay? If, you, if you're new today, we touched on this last week, but basically, uh, because Israel had left God for other idols and other lovers, Hosea was commanded by God to take a wife for himself that would eventually cheat on him. God said, I want you to marry a promiscuous woman. A very strange command, I, I know, right? And uh, his purpose in doing that was to show Israel what they were doing to him. So in other words, just as your wife is going to cheat on you, Hosea, so the Israelites have done to me. 
And you might ask the question, well, why can't God just tell Hosea to preach that to the people instead of having to be a living example of it, right? Well, here's the thing. Can you imagine the difference if Hosea stands before the people of Israel and just says, hey, guys, uh, why don't you guys stop cheating on God? Why don't you guys stop worshiping idols? And they're like, yeah, yeah, whatever, Hosea, right? But if he has a wife who is cheating on him and has a living example of what the Israelites are doing to, to God as a nation, now he comes to them with tears, and he says, listen to me, with tears down his face, you guys are doing to God what my wife is doing to me. And let me tell you, it's painful. It's painful. And so Hosea was to be a living example of what the nation was doing to their God. So that's kind of the backstory here. And, uh, but here's what happens. Look at, um, at, verse, uh, at verse 3. I'm sorry, verse 4. It says, Upon her children also I will have no mercy, because they are children of whoredom. There's that word again. For their mother has played the whore. There it is again. She who conceived them has acted shamefully. For she said, I will go after my lovers who give me my bread and my water, my wool and my flax, my oil and my drink. So what he's saying is that Israel has pursued other nations so they can get trade agreements with other nations so they can get supplies from other nations because they are not trusting in their God. And so they are essentially worshiping idols so they can get the things that they think they need. Okay? And so this is what is being communicated here. So Hosea's wife, her name was, remember? Gomer, which is a great name for a cat, but not for a wife, right? And so just like his wife, Gomer, pursued other lovers, Israel pursues other gods. So why does Israel do this? Really clear in this verse. She, Israel does this to get her immediate needs met, right? Well, they gotta have, you got to have bread, water. you got to have the supplies you need for life as a nation. So they pursue pagan nations, get trade agreements with them. They begin to worship their gods. And they begin, to, they begin to think those things, those supplies, are coming from their gods instead of the God who's really giving it to them, okay? And so they chased after idols to get their needs met in this way. Let me just tell you something, guys. Sin is always more practical than obeying God. Sin is always more practical than obeying God. I met with a guy a few years ago. He and his uh, fiance wanted to get married here at the church, and they said, hey, we want somebody to do our wedding. And so I met with just the guy for lunch one day, and I said, well, I have some really tough questions before we go any further in this process of us as a church marrying you as a couple and putting our endorsement on your marriage. I have, here's some hard questions, but are y'all living together? Are y'all having sex together? And the answers were yes and yes. And I was like, well, I'm really sorry, but if you're claiming to be a Christian, then I can't do your wedding unless you separate for a time and obey God for a time and make things right and then come back together and get married and do it the right way. And he got mad. He got upset. You know, well, how can you call yourself a, a grace-filled church if you're going to treat us that way? And I said, well, man, I'm just trying to obey. I'm just trying to be obedient to Jesus, and, and I got to call sin, sin, you know, and I never saw them ever again, right? And here's the deal. His response was, yeah, but we can't afford 
We can't afford to separate. Like, I'm paying part of the rent. I said, yeah, I know. I know it's difficult, but sin's always more practical, right? Sin's always more convenient. Sin always gets our immediate needs met. But the question is, will you sacrifice that for obedience? That's the real question in play here. Look at verse 6. Therefore, I will hedge up her way with thorns, and I will build a wall against her so that she cannot find her paths. She shall pursue her lovers, but not overtake them. And she shall seek them, but shall not find them. Then she shall say, I will go and return to my first husband, for it was better for me then than now. Look what's happening. Now God is gone a step further, and he is now standing between, putting a barricade between the nation and her idols. So as she sets out to seek after her idols, to have her needs met in the same way that you do for the ways that you guys fall into sin, you, you, you chase after a, um, a sinful relationship because it gets your immediate need of security met. You chase after somebody because it gets your immediate need for attention met in the here and now. In the same way that you do that, Israel is doing that. And God says, I am going to create, put a barricade between you and your idols. You're going to chase after your idols but you won't be able to find them. You're going to chase after your idols to get your needs met, and you're no longer going to have your needs met through your idols. This is what's happening here. Now, what I want you to get from this is, is I want you to see suffering in a completely different way. So put this next quote up on the screen, if you will, at the back. Um, here's the quote. Suffering is God's attempt to get us to see his supremacy. Write this down. Suffering is God's attempt to get us to see his supremacy. Think about almost every kind of suffering you might go through as a high school student, whatever it might be. Almost every single suffering that you go through is, is really a way where God is stripping you of some kind of idolatry. Now, listen, you're going to say to me, but, but my mom got cancer. How is that? what you're talking about. I'm not saying it's always obvious what the idol is, but sometimes the idol is deep, and very often the idol can be very good things, like family. The idol can be very good things, like in my case, my own kids. Right? Kids are great, but they can very easily become an idol in my life. And so very often suffering is God's attempt to get us to see his supremacy. So when you go through suffering in your life, very often it's God stripping you away from your, from your idolatry, and it's a chance, if you'll take it, it's a chance for you to see his supremacy and the illegitimacy of your idol. This is what God often does in our lives. Look at verse 8. And she did not know that it was I who gave her the grain, the wine, and the oil, and who lavished on her silver and gold, which they used for Baal. Therefore, I will take back my grain in its time, and my wine in its season, and I will take away my wool and my flax, which were to cover her nakedness. So God's basically saying, if you think all this stuff is coming from your idols, let me just remind you, I'm the one that gave that to you. I'm the one that's meeting your needs as your God. So I'm going to take that away from you, until you come to see me as God. So sometimes God takes his gifts away 
so that we will know him, right? He removes the gifts from us so that we will remember the giver. And you won't replace the gift with the giver, right? This is what God's doing here. Look at verse 10. Now I will uncover her lewdness in the sight of her lovers, and no one shall rescue her out of my hand. And I will put an end to all her mirth, her feasts, her new moons, her Sabbath, and all her appointed feasts. And I will lay waste her vines and her fig trees. Go to my next slide here. Here we go. And I will lay waste her vines and her fig trees, of which she said, These are my wages which my lovers have given me. I will make them a forest, and the beasts of the field shall devour them. And I will punish her for the feast, for the feast days of the Baals, when she burned offerings to them and adorned herself with her ring and jewelry and went after her lovers and forgot me, declares the Lord. So I want to show you once again kind of a video depiction. We showed last week a video of um, a modern-day retelling through video of, of Hosea and his wife, Gomer. This is part two of that video.
So what I want you guys to get from this passage uh, mainly is that suffering is oftentimes God fighting for his relationship with us, and suffering is often God standing between us and our idol. Real, real love is often tough, and at times someone has to cut up the credit cards and take away the cell phone to stand between someone and their idolatry. So go ahead and finish up with discussion at your tables. Go ahead and discuss.